Hey, you all. Welcome to Active and Connected Families. We are back today with our fifth podcast on raising boys. And today's episode is for those parents out there who, like me, identify as feminists and are raising boys. And as most of you know, I have three of these little guys running around, and it's complicated for me because I grew up envisioning myself raising strong, feisty, and flexible daughters who were going to push back on the patriarchy. But I hadn't put as much thought into raising feminist men, which is, to be honest, a more important role now than ever, because I want these sweet young boys that I love so much to push back against the patriarchy for sure, and I also want them to feel proud of themselves as boys. And interestingly, researchers say that children start absorbing stereotypes by age three causing the world to expand for boys and causing the world to shrink for girls by age 10. So we have to start having conversations about gender roles early on, and we have to start challenging the features and characteristics assigned to men and women at home, in our daily lives, in school, on TV, and really everywhere that our kids spend time if we want them to be feminists. So here are some tips that I've been mulling over for the past couple of years that I'm going to share with you today. And the first is to talk about the systems and talk about the patriarchy out loud. We should all be recognizing that we're born into this country and we can't help but be indoctrinated to think in an anti-feminist way. And that it is our job as feminists to think about the systems and to question our own assumptions and automatic thoughts so that we can make decisions that align with our values, not just make snap decisions based on how we think things should be. And we need to teach our kids to do the same. So this means that we talk to our kids about the patriarchy and we give them the historical context for what we're talking about. For example, I might say to some of my kids, have you ever noticed that most of the superheroes out there are men? For a long time, our societies taught us that men could do all of the hard work and all of the big things in the world, and women had to make our decisions based on what men want. And it doesn't have to be like that anymore because a lot of people in this society now want everybody to have all the same opportunities, whether you're male or female. But there's still lots of ways that the world makes us think that women can't or women shouldn't be able to do all the things that men do. So superheroes are just one example of that and how historically we've been kind of putting women in these roles that maybe they don't want. So we can think about how do TV shows think about men and women? How do books and YouTube channels show the roles that men and women play? Have you ever noticed that all the old Disney movies have men heroes and it's only been in the last few years that we've been able to see women heroes like Moana? It's super cool that times are changing, but all of it's kind of new, and there are still tons of examples where we only see men leading or we only see men being the superheroes. Can you think of other examples? So really talking to our kids about why we're talking about it and demonstrating the oppression that has existed that continues to exist, but also new and flexible ways of thinking. It's also important to talk about the work that you as adults are doing to fight oppression and fight gender stereotypes. So if you listen to my last episodes, you know that a lot of change is coming around how men are able to express their feelings. So if you or another male role model for your kids is working hard at expressing your feelings better, 
Or if you are a woman and you're working hard on responding flexibly to a man sharing his feelings, we should, and recognize it and validate it, we should demonstrate that we're working on this in front of our kids. So one of the things that you might say if you're a man or as a woman, um, you could say something like, when I grew up, it was really rare to see a man express sadness. And I think it's really important that men and boys are able to do that. So I'm working hard on being okay with men expressing sadness myself. And I want you to be able to do it differently because I know how important it is. We can even work on it together. So really saying that the way we are living our lives is influenced by the history of the patriarchy and it is our role as feminists to do it differently and it's going to take practice. So if we have the leaders talking about, and by the way, when I say leaders, I mean essentially like the adults in a family's life. So you all parents out there, if we have parents talking about how everyone is learning to change and grow in the ways in which the patriarchy has essentially like made it difficult for us, then we're going to have more opportunities to show our kids how to do things differently. It's also really important that we talk in front of our boys about the household division of labor. We get into trouble when we assume certain people will do certain things based on their genders. So if we just actually have the conversation out loud and in front of our kids, our sons and daughters will learn that it isn't because of the assumed gender roles that mom is doing the dishes. It might just be because she actually likes it or that's the way the schedule works out. So if you and a partner in your home have roles, have the conversation out loud about who gets the roles and why. It's also really important that we put images of lots of different types of role models up there for our boys to see. So we spoke last week around how looking at men expressing their emotions like Tom Brady and LeBron James is really, really important and helpful for guys. But now I'm going to challenge us all to start calling women role models for the boys in our lives. For example, Michelle Obama a huge role model for me. Her intelligence, her relatability, her ability to orient towards her family while also impacting the whole world is actually like a guidepost for me and who I want to be as a person. And I'm saying who I want to be as a person here on purpose, because when I first wrote it, I actually wrote who I want to be as a woman. Michelle Obama is a guidepost for me about who I want to be as a woman. But that's actually not right, because she's a guidepost for how I also think it would be great for boys to be. She is intelligent. She is relatable. She is orienting towards her family while also impacting the whole world. We can put her up there as a role model for our boys too, as long as we label it that way. And when I think about that in the reverse, it makes sense because I also hold Barack Obama, President Obama, in my head as a role model. As a woman, I am flexible to hold women and men in my head as role models. However, I don't think our society is doing a good enough job of putting women into boys' heads around role models. So being really proactive about using the word role model and example when we're talking about women leaders for our boys. So for the rest of this episode, I'm going to be talking with Aaron Spar, who is an LPC, about raising boys. And Aaron is hysterical and smart and runs one of my absolutely favorite Instagram accounts, which is feminist.mom.therapist. 
And her mission is to challenge the oppressive societal norms that disempower moms. And I find her so helpful because she calls out the systems and expectations that essentially make me feel like a bad mom. For instance, I can never get myself together to do the wacky hair days at school. And I do feel like guilty about it. I'm like, why can I never get the gel when I need it? But she reminded me last week that this is just an extra task that society puts on moms when our job is already pretty hard anyway, and it's a lot. So it's not that I don't want Wacky Hair Day for my kids. Her account really just validates that it's reasonable that Wacky Hair Days are the things that are putting me over the edge because sometimes they truly are. So go ahead, follow her account. I promise you it will empower you and make you think about the way society is treating moms in an entirely different way. I hope you enjoy our convo and I hope you all have a great weekend. Thanks so much for listening. Active and Connected Families is a smart, relatable conversation with me, Dr. Amanda Sovic-Johnston, child psychologist, mother of three, and entrepreneur. I've spent my career providing family therapy and supporting high-achieving mothers, and maybe even more hours with my girlfriends trying to figure out how we can all feel more confident in our work and our relationships. And you all, there's one thing I've noticed. We're all struggling in some of the same places, and we're all looking for some down-to-earth advice that we can actually use. So on Active and Connected Families, I'll share some of the insights I've learned, strategies for those daily fights about laundry, some expert perspective on the bigger issues like the mental health crisis, and me chatting with my therapist friends about how we can all feel a little more active and connected in our lives. Throughout, I hope to make you laugh at least once, but I know I'll leave you with something that'll help you become a better parent and maybe even person. Thanks so much for listening. Hi, Erin. Hi, how are you? Uh, I am really good. I'm so glad you're here because I think you and I, who, by the way, we don't know each other, um, but we have a lot in common around being feminists and also raising only boys. Um, And so I'm just excited to hear your thoughts on what this is like for you. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here to talk about that topic. I have two boys, a 10-year-old and an almost five-year-old, so... Um, I'm in it with you. Totally. So knowing that you're a feminist, and talk to me a little bit about what being a feminist means to you, actually. That's a hard question. Sorry. (laughs) No, it's okay. I know sometimes the most like basic ones can be hard. I mean, a feminist is, it feels like we all should be feminists, right? And the idea is that um, we want men and women and folks who don't fit in those boxes, of course, as well, to all be um, kind of on an equal playing field. And right now we live in a patriarchy where women and non-binary folks have less power. And so a feminist is somebody who wants to reduce that and, and have more equality. Absolutely. And so how do you think, how much do you think that part of your personality comes out in how you parent. Yeah. Well, it's funny because my oldest son, who's 10, right, he often get catches wind of like on Instagram, I'm the feminist mom therapist. And he sort of knows that I talk about 
content or things or, you know, my husband, I'll sort of point out things on TV. And, you know, it's funny because he, I think at, at certain times has kind of felt confused by that or like heard these words and almost like, you know, felt offensive. And so, yes, right. Like I'm somehow, right. Saying something negative about a boy who he is. Right. And that has taken a lot of work to, to kind of correct. Like, no, 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 I'm not. I love you. I love your dad. I love your, right. This is not about me talking about boys or men negatively. This is about, you know, a, a culture and that's really hard for them to understand. So there's been lots of conversations um, to try to get that. Can you break that down? Because I bet every single person listening to this podcast is trying to have a similar conversation with their sons. And it isn't about our sons or particular men or even white men today always blocking women's opportunities. It is our culture. So how do you help explain that to boys when you're coming at things from such a feminist lens? Yeah, I think trying to help him observe, you know, some of these differences. It's funny, we've we've also talked a lot about race, right? He's a white boy. And in some ways, that's actually been easier, um, maybe because him and I are both white. And so he doesn't feel like I'm maybe sort of the other in that. Yes, Aaron, that is so smart. You're right. I feel similarly. I've had the same experience. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So, so I think in that we've been able to sort of fumble our way, which I like to normalize these conversations, not one conversation, many around like observing, right? Observing, you know, do you notice there's a difference in kind of what you see on TV? Who are the superheroes, for example, right? You know, it's usually white men. What do you notice about, you know, the women, right? And so kind of trying to help him observe these things. Um, but I do find it that that feels harder. He also is at a in a point where he'll sort of say that there is like um he doesn't like the girls or the girls are bullying the boy. Like there's uh-huh. like they're in a oh, phase. I did that spot too, absolutely. Right? And like that's normal, right? To sort of be drawn to sort of an in-group and 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 so I think probably in the past I probably overdid it by sort of trying to be like, well, why do you not like her? What's, you know, and now I'm trying to like back off a little bit and just like mm-hmm. let him be where he is. Um, so I don't know. I'm fumbling through it, honestly. I mean, I have a couple books and things that I, that I, you know, have tried to kind of slowly talk about. Um, there's a series of books. What are they called? Uh, I'll have to come back and think about it. But there's like a couple, um, one about like feminism, one about um, like white supremacy and like things like that. So something that I, I think also talking about toxic masculinity is really, you know, I think talk about that. That's a tough one. So like, so I think being able to talk about, you know, how you are crying right now, right? Like you're crying. I let you cry. We don't in, in this house, we, we don't shame you for crying. But he did notice a friend um, at school, or not at school, in our neighborhood, whose father was sort of commenting to his son, hey, don't cry about it. And my son noticed that. And we talked about it afterward because we sort of observed it together. And so being able to talk about, yeah, like, 
historically, that's been the advice is for boys, men to not show emotion. So that's something I could sort of point out and sort of talk about, like, that's okay. That's okay. And, and help him kind of get sort of his feelings about that out. So I think that's been a way in. You know, what I love about what you're doing, Erin, is I essentially do a lot of these things, which is I'm so happy when my kids cry and I try to really reinforce it. You know, I'm like, oh, yes, they're crying. Like, I'm not raising someone who has to fit in this man box or I point so much of this stuff out in the same way that you do. But I like the way that you're giving it labels and you're giving it names and you're talking specifically about the history and bringing that directly into the family instead of just doing all the work around it without naming it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we want to both model it and have words for what's happening. Absolutely. I love that. You know, one of the things I really engage my kids in is I'm the business owner. So I own a practice called Virginia Family Therapy. And my husband, who is a child psychiatrist, he is so great. He is so good at his job. He's and he works with us. He's a he's associated with Virginia Family Therapy, although he has his own separate business. But you wouldn't mm-hmm. believe the number of requests people send to him and not to me around potentially joining our practice, or they will automatically email him and me on the same email around joining our practice. But ultimately, it's my practice, right? And so we talk about that a lot in our family. Like, why does that happen? Because my kids are so sweet. They'll get mad too, because they know it's mine. They're like, why are they doing that? And it's such a nice way of bringing that directly into our family. Yeah, that I think what they see is really important. Being able to sort of label that—that's um, really that's like both infuriating that that happens, but not surprising. Um, and I think a really good example of that. Um, I mean, I think similarly, I think my kids see me as like ha- you know being at work. I have I work from home and see clients, and I think that you know I think it's all work, right? If you're a stay-at-home mom, that's work. Um, and so either whatever the work is, I think being able to really value it and talk about it as equal and not sort of the one is less than the other in, in the family Absolutely. is important. So how do you deal with it? One of my sons has come home recently and said, it seems like teachers really favor the girls. I think that the world used to be for boys. And now it seems like everyone is fighting for the girls, which he's not wrong about in many ways. That's a, those are the images that we see more. How are you talking to your kids about that? I think that's such a good point. And, and I think grown men feel that way. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, Like that they're now the sort of the victim a bit. Like I think that maybe that's not all men, right. Not all men, but some men, I kind of hear that. Um, and I think being able to sort of sort of point out, like, kids understand fairness, right? Like, yeah, yes. you, you, that doesn't feel fair. I can, right, you want to validate that experience, a human feeling, this individual person, kid, is, is feeling, um, right? Because I think it backfires if we then say, well, da, 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 we get on our soapboxes too quickly, so I think we need to meet them. Otherwise, yeah, then we're just like 
part of the sort of man-hating boy, yes. you know, voice. You know what you're saying is essentially when it, when a boy would say like this feels unfair to me, we have to validate that feeling. Yes, it does feel unfair to you and there's this history. So it's yeah. both and plus if we don't validate that feeling first, we are contributing to the system of oppressing boys' ability to talk about their feelings. Yep. Yep. So we have to validate them, even if they come at us with stuff that feels very anti-feminist. <laughs> of course. Yes. And that's, you know, that's relationships, right? Being able to just sort of hear somebody's perspective, even if we don't agree with it, you can validate something and not be sort of agreeing. Yes, I can see from your perspective how that would feel, right? We have to start there. Otherwise, if we say anything else, they're not going to hear it, right? It doesn't get through. Absolutely. Yeah. We have to validate before we get on our soapboxes is what you're telling yes. me. And then we can sort of say like, yeah, let's, let's think about that. I mean, I think the, the more we can help them notice it and kind of come up with the answer, the, the, the more it comes from like an internalized place rather than another thing an adult is telling them that, you know, from the outside. So I think being able to sort of say, yeah, why do you think that is, you know? Um, but I do agree that there's also this education piece of like, you know, yeah, historically, girls haven't felt empowered. So there has been a lot of effort now to sort of recognizing that, to recognize and help girls and women feel like they can do what the boys do. Mm-hmm. And I think we have missed some of helping boys understand their role in that, right? What it's not just girls telling girls that they can be anything. It's also helping boys be able to see girls as, you know, to respect them and, mm-hmm. you know, and to sort of see them as capable and not a threat to their manliness or their masculinity, right? Like to not feel threatened. And that's, that's tricky. Can you talk about that, about the not feeling like girls are a threat to them? That's hard. It's hard. It's really hard. And I just want to say, like, I don't think parents, individual parents, we can't solve all these problems individually with their kids, right? We Just like we can't solve, like, consumerism, right? We want to help our kids think critically about what they're seeing in the world and feel prepared, right, to be able to sort of tease apart what has been taught to them and what feels right or feels like it's in line with their values and that's a lifetime process that's a long process so if your 10 year old or whatever 13 year old whatever doesn't get it doesn't mean that there's not more time for them to kind of continue to think I think that feels very important to me because one of the things that I struggle with as a white mom of three white boys is I have an underlying fear and an underlying anxiety that I'm going to raise three white boys that are contributing to the patriarchy and contributing to the white supremacy. And even though I'm doing so many of these things to hopefully have them not, when they come at me with something that feels like anti-feminist, it, it makes me very anxious. And then I start responding yeah. from there. Yeah. 
like it's quote triggering, right? Absolutely. It's absolutely triggering to me because it is so central to who I am. Yeah. Do you share that experience? I do. I do <laughs> very much. I mean, I, I think in some ways, you know, they can be provocative, right? If they kind of sense that this is something, you know, I noticed yeah. that my older son, like it's like every kid learns to push their parents' buttons what, and they kind of can learn that. I think there are certain things that I will have a strong boundary around. No, I don't accept you talking to me that way. No, I can't, you know, allow you to continue to, you know, whatever it is. Like, I do think that we can hold that line. Mm-hmm. And I also really think that men have a huge role in this. And this is where conversations like with my husband, I'm, I'm like, hey, psst, psst. you know, like you need to also be be as passionate as I am. And I think that's hard when they don't have the lived experience. They're like, yeah, that's wrong. That's bad, you know. But I sometimes want, right, that co-conspirator kind of idea. Yep. Let's talk about that. Erin, you are full of deep thoughts today. (laughs) Erin, you are full of deep thoughts today. Talk to me about the co-conspirator and how you talk to your husband about that. Can you talk about that on air? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm pretty transparent. I think that's been a big that's been a big challenge. I mean, I think a, a relationship a significant with your significant other is super challenging after you have kids. We we know this. There's like yeah. research that supports this, and there's so many reasons why, and a lot of it does have to do with like the patriarchy, right? How these gender roles kind of somehow get placed in front of us and we don't know how we got there. So I think having those conversations around, like, what are you modeling? You know, my husband's very involved and involved. Whenever I say that, like, we don't call mothers involved. We only call dads involved. Um, You're right. You're right. (laughs) That's so great. Um, But he, you know, he does a lot of the domestic work. And so my kids are able to see that, which I think is important. But I think he kind of feels like, oh, that's enough. Look, I'm, they see me do the dishes. So I'm, look at me, I'm doing that. And I think, I, I well, that's important, the modeling. I think sometimes he doesn't react as strongly to um, the ways that my boy, my oldest particularly, treats us differently. Like this, some of this is actually kind of embarrassing to say out loud, but like my son will sort of, one, he's called me a Karen before, like he's learned about that from TikTok. I've been there before too. It's fine. Yeah. But then like, you know, the other day kind of like smacking my butt and walking by and I'm like, you don't do that to your father, right? Like that. And that makes, and I'm enraged, right? When that happened. And, and like, he's pushing that these buttons with me in a way that he doesn't with his dad. And I try to sort of bring that up sometimes. Like I notice that you feel like you can do that, especially as they get stronger and Mm -hmm. bigger. Right. Like, and then there's some kind of power thing that happens. Um, So these are things that I don't always think my husband like cares quite honestly about. Um, I did get him to read a, a book um, on how to be a feminist dad. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And it was written by a man. And so I thought that might be helpful. Um, and I think that helped. I think the, it helped him understand me more than yeah, even. Yeah, that makes sense. 
you know? One of the things I said to my husband, you know, when he gets emails asking, you know, can I join your practice or tell me more about your practice? You know, I, my back gets up and, and his does too, but not to the point that he's like, I'm going to email them back and tell them that this is your practice. And so that lands on me. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's important for me to have him do it. Right. Cause that is a part of being a feminist dad and representing that is it doesn't have to be me like, Hey, Hey, this is, this is me. Like, I think it's both of us. It's both of our responsibility to kind of call people out on the way we are treated in society. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does show already that there is right. Like a different respect that folks have for men that unfortunately, if women are the ones just saying it, it doesn't, always make a difference. Absolutely. Especially when we're raising sons. So there's a piece of it that is that emotional piece. I feel like my kids will talk to me about that kind of, why are they doing that? Why are teachers favoring the girls? Why I don't like these girls and I might do the questioning. Mm -hmm. And I think my husband supports me in doing the questioning, but we also need him to do it. Yeah. Right. And usually, right, women tend to be better at talking about feelings, having those conversations. So our kids learn that we're that safe place. My husband is much more like the playful one or the one who goes and throws the ball, which is like such a gendered thing, but that's sort of how it happened. Right. And so those opportunities often are, don't come up as authentically, I think, mm-hmm. for my son and, and his dad to be able to talk about these things. I think they have to be kind of intentional about it. And I think it's hard when it's like not naturally something that they're thinking about. I, I think as it, it doesn't feel quite maybe as important as it, it does for It us. isn't as important. It isn't because they don't have the lived experience. You're right. Yeah. And how can it be? We cannot expect our husbands or our, our, our men to know what it's truly like to be a woman. So I used to be a little bit annoyed with my husband for that. But then I'm like, he's a male. How would he know what this is like? I can tell him as much as I want. And he does a great job of listening to it, which I Mm -hmm. so appreciate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But he will never understand it in the way that other women do. Yeah, it's sort of infuriating. (laughs) But it's also so true. Um, And a a problem. And that's why I, I keep feeling like, you know, like in my Instagram account, I talk a lot to moms, um, but it feels like we need more men talking to men um, so that they can understand at least their role in changing the systems. Maybe not the complete experience um, of being a woman, but sort of seeing, I think, what we have been seeing. So I've got a guy, by the way, he's on my last two podcasts. I'll send his stuff to you, Jason, just so everyone knows. Um, So talk to me a little bit about your own experience of your own anxiety raising boys. I know that's hard, but yeah. How do you manage that? (sighs) Yeah. um, I think, yeah, I think my goal is very clearly wanting them to be um, thoughtful, emotionally sort of have a good high emotional IQs um, and, and to be respectful. 
and to, towards women and to be feminist. That is important. And to be anti-racist. Like I have a lot of goals. And, you know, I think um, there have been some times where I feel like it's it's come out so much that I think right now I'm not feeling quite as anxious. I feel like I've accepted a little bit more that this is a long process. And actually I have seen them when they're not, what's funny is like when they're home and they're being provocative, but then when they're out in the world, I have me like kept captured glimpses of, Oh, like my son being really respectful or thoughtful, a teacher telling me, Oh my gosh, he's so empathetic toward his classmate and, and hearing these anecdotes that aren't like right in front of us. We often get the worst, you know, hard, hardest parts of our kids and if we just go by that, sometimes we, we worry, we're, oh my gosh, I'm failing or it's never going to happen. But then I think looking, actually, we're planting seeds, right? Um, so these these seeds, we don't know how, how what they're going to do with them. But I think trusting that we're giving them a lot of insight information that kids and boys in the past did not have. And... I think I feel encouraged that this is something that many parents are talking about. Like this is, there is a, I think a lot of promise in thinking about the future and looking at Gen Z and looking at right. How, you know, progressive, I think a lot of um, people are now in thinking about things like gender and um, all of this. So I think I'm, I'm trying to sort of be hopeful about the future and, you know, not put all of it on myself. Yeah. And I love what you're saying about the process, right? I remembering that each conversation is, is planting a seed is contributing to our long-term development of these kids, right? They are only minor 11, eight and six. So they've got a long time to work through all of this confusing information I'm 42 and I'm still understanding it and working through it. So we can't expect them to get it exactly right. We're all going to fumble through it. Yeah. Yeah. It's all the same thing with talking about right white supremacy and things like that. It's I think if we if we want to do it perfectly or we expect it to be one conversation and that's it, I think that is going to set us up for failure versus expecting it to be messy, but also consistent. Absolutely. And I think the easiest one for those parents that are listening are like, oh, I haven't talked about white supremacy yet, or I haven't talked about, you know, the patriarchy yet. Many parents also haven't talked about sex yet. And the way I always think about it with sex is a kind of like, you're going to say something to your kid. They're going to feel really anxious. They're going to be like, don't tell me, right? You're going to talk about it again. They're going to be like, don't talk to me about that. You're going to say it again. Don't talk to me about that. And then one day they're going to be like, oh, wow, this happened. I know I can talk to my mom or dad about it because they've been trying to talk to me about it for years. And so I think part of it is just saying, here we are with some of this information you're going to run into it at some place. And when you do, we're a safe place for you to yeah. process it. There's no judgment and and please come to us with it because we can talk about it. Right. Which is in these conversations, like you said, challenging because they can trigger all of our feelings, especially if we didn't have that, these conversations modeled to us or they were uncomfortable. We, we perceived our parents as being uncomfortable if we had the conversations at all. So 
you know, I think this generation I'm so in awe of because I think a lot of us are cycle breakers, right? We're trying to be parents in ways that we didn't get to experience. Not that our parents, you know, were were bad for that, but that it wasn't the cultural norm. So we're all doing something in general, I think, that that hasn't been done before. And so, you know, it's going to be messy and um, imperfect. I love that, Erin. We all, because to me, I'd rather make an error. This is going to sound really dorky, guys. I'd rather make an error of commission than omission. Like I'd rather say something kind of wrong than not say anything at all. I'd rather fumble through something than not have a conversation. And because if you're fumbling through it, you're also, you're talking about thinking, you're talking about making mistakes, you're talking about all the weird things that you can say or your own biases that you might say out loud that you didn't even realize were there. But if you don't say anything at all, no one is learning. Mm-hmm. And you're learning not to talk about it. So I'd rather make an error, guys, again, dorky sounding, an error of commission than omission. I, obviously, someone taught me that a long time that it's like, is commission the right word there? I don't know. Is it? <laughs> I don't know. It could be. I don't know, y'all. I don't know. Um, but the idea is talk rather than don't talk. Absolutely. Yeah. And listen, right? Yeah. I think, too, because we we tend to think parents need to have all the answers, right? And kind of um, look like the authority. And I think parents could also do more listening. You know, what do you notice? What do you think? What do you feel? Um, that actually creates a big, a safe space. If we lecture too much, um, then we become, you know, like the peanut character, like the teachers, wah, 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 right? And then we get sort of tuned out. So I think being really selective about, you know, sometimes I'll say, okay, I really, I want you to hear this. Like sometimes, you know, my kid wants to get out of the conversation. He's uncomfortable. And I'll, I'll be like, okay, I'll let that go. But other times I'll say, okay, but I need to, you know, make sure I clarify this one thing about, you know, women or whatever, um, you know, and, and so being really like, I think careful about which things you really want to sort of pinpoint and, and also let yourself not say everything all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. That makes so much sense. I also say this one actually does make sense Two parents have two ears and one mouth. Oh, right? I love that. I yes. know. I got to say this two ears yes. and one mouth. So ask the question about what you want to talk about and then listen, right? Introduce the idea and listen. Yeah. Right. Maybe that's what we're saying. We're, figuring, we're, we're fumbling through you and I. Yeah. I think so. I think kind of to wrap it up, what you and I are both saying is raising boys hits a chord with us as feminist moms. It presents its own unique challenges and its own like excitement to be able to break some of these cycles. I do feel excited about helping three boys develop and who can maybe do it differently. And that is such an honor um, to hold in society, I think. And I'm also going to make a million mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. It It is really powerful to think about not just us individually, but sort of collectively, um, how we, we're shaping the next generation. And I do like to sort of feel good about that power and also acknowledge, right, the, the societal 
um, responsibility, right? That, that our society also has a lot of um, responsibility in helping us raise a generation. So I'm really a big fan of helping moms particularly, but parents really be supported because I think we, we need to not be so stressed out and burned out so we can do this really important work. So I think on the one hand, talking about right, like what we can do, but like also what we still need is important. Community, right? And what do we need our community to do and our government to do and our like all of that stuff, the social change? Yeah. 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 Erin, you have been so helpful and your, you know, reels make me think so much. Um, where can people find you and see more of what you are putting out there? Because it really has resonated with me. Thank you, Amanda. I appreciate it. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at feminist.bob.therapist and on my website, erinsparatherapy.com. Well, it was so helpful. I really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great weekend. Thank you so much, Amanda. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to like and share the Active and Connected Families podcast if you found this helpful. And if you or someone you love are interested in therapy, you can find out more about our practice at www.virginiafamilytherapy.com. Again, that's www.virginia, all spelled out, therapy.com. Thanks again.